Everybody has trials and temptation. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. Everybody knows fear. Everybody's got worries. Ooh, ooh. Everybody knows sorrow and devastation. Amen, and good morning. Y'all were singing that like y'all believe it or something. I, I don't know. It's either that or you're just real. You're, you're awake and you've adjusted to time change. Whichever the case is, we are so glad you're here, and it's a joyful thing to be in the house of the Lord and to sing praises together. It's such a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing when God just mixes everybody's voices together, and you realize that when we all sing together, um, we all sound wonderful, and you don't really notice yourself. Um, as much, and so that's the encouragement to sing out. It sounds wonderful, and it gives glory to the Lord. Just welcome. It's it's good to be here. It's a great day because it's the day the Lord has made. And so, if you are here with us, either online or in person, we trust that that God has a purpose and a reason for you being here. And we look forward to worshiping um, together as we join together. And at the conclusion of our service, we'll have opportunity to take. Um, part together in the Lord's Supper to fellowship together with one another and also with our, our Lord Jesus. If you're visiting this morning, it is good to see us. I know Rich and Sue are excited because they have family here. And um, it's too bad it's not Packer Row Day because they would have done it. Um, 
They could have even spread out, maybe taken up two rows. But we're, we're glad that y'all are here visiting. I'm, I know by the smiles on the faces of your, your parents that they are excited to have you and grandparents. And we're excited to see you. If you're a visitor and it's your first time, we're glad to see you. If you've been here several times, welcome back. And if you're a member or a visitor and you have any questions, if you want to share a prayer request or if there's any other information you would like, there's a little tan card that we put in our bulletin. looks just like this. We call it a connect card. And you can just jot the information on there, put it in the, prayer, in the offering plate in just a moment um, when um, the deacons pass it around. Let me just remind you of, of a few things before we um, take opportunity to read from 1 Peter chapter 2 together. The first thing is we are continuing to collect our Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. Um, our goal is $3,500, and currently we're at $1,905, so we're a little past the halfway point. Um, it's still not late to, too late to contribute. Just be sure if you, you give toward that just to put it on the envelope or on your check that it's for Annie Armstrong or for Easter offering so we get it into the right place. Men, tomorrow morning, 6.30 Elk Diner, men's breakfast, a good opportunity to start off the week with breakfast and fellowship together. Um, enjoy a cup of coffee and some fellowship with, with other men as we begin the, the work week. And then Wednesday, our activities, as usual, 11 o'clock is, a new, is the Bible study, followed by lunch, which still is available to you free of charge. Um, we spend time singing and praying, and we would love for you to be a part of that time of study and fellowship as we gather together. And then evening activities on Wednesday, um, students meet at 6 o'clock, and then prayer meeting starts at 6 30. only have one other additional item to mention um, to you before we, we read together, and that is on April the 10th, which should be two weeks from um, today, um, we'll have a called business meeting to, to look at recommendations, first of all, from our deacon body regarding um, adding deacons to serve um, our church, and then second of all, a recommendation from the personnel committee um, regarding um, some compensation um, for, for Jeff Jones just for his work that he has um, invested in our student ministry. Um, I won't go into detail now, but you will um, receive a letter first part of the week, and that item, the items will be printed in detail in the bulletin next Sunday, but I just wanted you to give you that, that date. That is April the 10th, and so look for that in the mail. And because of the nature of the Postal Service, if for some reason you get toward the end of the week and you don't receive something in the mail, let us know, and we'll... Um, We'll hand deliver Pony Express or some way to get it to you, so maybe you so you can have a copy of it as well. So that's on April the 10th. We have that to look forward to. From our scripture reading this morning is from First Peter chapter two. Just a, a reminder of the nature of of servanthood that is called of those who are disciples of Jesus and who Jesus Himself is the most perfect example. Um, we'll begin the reading this morning in chapter 2, starting in verse 18, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Will you pray with us? Our Lord God in heaven, we do lift your name and praise. We come today to worship you and to give you praise for all that you do for us each and every day. Be with us today in this service, dear Lord. We just ask that you would receive our worship as we come holy before you. Guide us and direct us, dear Lord, through this service. Be with the worship group as they lead us. And be with Rusty as he brings us the message today. Speak through him, through him, dear Lord, with the Holy Spirit. And may each of our hearts be opened up. Now, dear Lord, as we give back to you a portion of what you have given to us, we just ask that you would bless it. And we just thank you and we praise you. And thank you for your son Jesus and the price he paid on the cross for our sins. And we do pray in his holy name. Amen. sing with us this morning.
Is he worthy? 
Thank you. You may be seated. your Bible or your phone handy, you can join with me in turning over to Matthew chapter 16. We'll start reading from there in a moment, starting in verse 21. So we continue looking at just the the idea, the theme that God has exalted Jesus to be above all things. And one of the most incredible things as you think about the power of the resurrection is that, that Jesus is even above you know, death. And today, as we, we look at these verses of Scripture, we'll encounter the, the conversation between Jesus and His disciples concerning His need to go to Jerusalem, His suffering, His death, but also the glorious promise of His resurrection. And in the midst of this section, we have a, a call or a commission from Jesus for us to walk in His Footsteps, And so this morning, as we look at these verses, we'll be considering what I titled Following in Jesus' Footsteps. But I want to ask you a question to start out. How many of you have ever played the game Follow the Leader? Yeah, you're raising hands. Yeah, so if I were to raise my hand, you'd raise your hand. If I raised both arms, you'd raise both arms. If I, you know, stuck a leg up in the air and shook my foot, you would do that. Um, That's not going to, to happen at least not in front of you. Um, But there's very simple rules. Everybody does what the leader does. And oftentimes that leader, because they want to challenge you, ask you to do impossible things or even things that seem silly. And if you don't follow the leader, then you're, you're out. Pretty simple. It's one of those things that teaches us to follow directions and imitate the actions of others. And that can be either good or bad. But in life, we follow people, and who we follow matters. And when we decide who we want to follow, hopefully we take you know, a look at the character, what kind of person they are, and we ask ourselves, are they worth following? And admittedly, sometimes we follow less than perfect examples, and in those times, there's consequences. Sometimes we we follow a good example and we reap the benefit. But whether we realize it or not, we all follow someone or something. The people and the society around us shapes our choices. And the media, whether it's television or the computer or other forms, are full of influencers that want you to follow their lead. We have leaders in our community and in our government that ask us to follow them. And we have parents as they try to raise their children from infancy to adulthood to follow their leadership. And one day, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus spoke to a group of fishermen. And He gave a very simple message. Follow Me. Those men 
walked with Jesus for, for three years, and he spent that time teaching them and investing in them. And they, they learned to listen to his voice and, and follow his example. And as time passed on, Jesus shared more about his mission, that he was indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that he would die for the sins of the world, that he would suffer, he would be killed, and raised up on the third day. He would lose his life so we could have peace with God and eternal life. And along the way, he continued to remind his disciples that following him would not be easy. There would be a cost. However, if they endured, it would be worthwhile. That suffering, persecution, and trials were were certain. But if they followed in his steps, he would lead them. They would experience abundant life here on earth, full of meaning and purpose. And they would spend an eternity one day in heaven and enjoy an eternal inheritance. And I want to propose to you this morning just a simple sentence that following Jesus means losing your life for his sake and finding purposeful new life in him. So as we pick up our our story today, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples in verse number 21. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Jesus, we thank You for Your sacrifice and Your example. And help us as we walk together as brothers and sisters to learn what it means to follow You. Help us to see that while there is a cost, that the reward that is waiting is far better. And that we... Have your help along the way by the power of your Spirit to give us endurance and guidance and encouragement and strength. So help us as we study your Word. Teach us by your Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just set the stage for you a little bit. Jesus has finished his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, and now he's heading toward Jerusalem. And in almost three years' time, Jesus has called the twelve disciples. He's had many other followers. He's faced opposition. 
from many different directions. He's been teaching and healing and preparing his disciples, revealing to them little by little the truth that he was God's son, he was the Messiah, that he was building a kingdom, and that it was a kingdom that would last forever. And along the way, he would allude to the fact that he would suffer, die, and rise again. And right before our verses that we just read, Jesus and his disciples traveled to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked them a question. You know, who do men say that I am? And they, they kind of jump around and say, you know, it's John the Baptist or Elijah. And then Jesus gets very pointed and says, who do you say I am? And Peter makes his great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says he'll build his church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And then the very next verse, verse 24, marks a transition in the ministry of Jesus. In the ESV it says, from that time. From that time, Jesus transitioned from teaching about the kingdom to preparing his disciples for the time he would go to the cross. And he he moved from speaking to the crowds to focusing mainly on his disciples. And he began heading toward Jerusalem. And in that time, he would explain to his disciples his mission as the Messiah, the nature of what it meant to be a disciple. And that when he returned, there would be both a time of reward and judgment. Now you'll see three points in your outline. I'll tell you right now, if you want to just take point number three and write... um, To be continued there, um, you can. Um, We won't get past the second point this morning, um, but the end of that verse will tie in nicely with next week, and we'll just pick up where we, we left off. But the first thing I want you to note from these verses is that Jesus predicts his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, this is not the only place in Scripture. In fact, all throughout the Gospels, there's three different times that Jesus explains that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be... They're going to bury him, and he's going to rise up on the third day. And if you look at verse 21, you have that from that time, so the transition, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And in these verses, we see the certainty of Jesus' mission, that he must go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was God's perfect plan. It was a plan from all eternity, and there was really no other way. Jesus had to go to Jerusalem, even though he himself said it was the city where they killed prophets and stoned God's messengers. And in that place, those Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders were were plotting his death. They were troubled by Jesus, and they wanted to get rid of him at any cost. And if you remember from reading through the Gospels, that they decide at one point that this Jesus must die. Oh, but it wasn't their plan. They were just used by God to carry out his eternal plan, that in Jerusalem Jesus would suffer, he would be killed, and he would be raised on the third day. Long before Jesus, that great prophet Isaiah spoke of a servant who would come and who would suffer for God's people. And Jesus fulfills that 
prophecy and he was the Messiah, the king who would suffer to bring about new life and salvation. I think of John the Baptist standing and looking and seeing Jesus come and just proclaim, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he willingly went as a lamb led to the slaughter, though he was falsely accused, mocked, beaten, and whipped. He was condemned to die. He bore the weight of a cross. He carried the weight of our sin. That he walked obediently, lovingly to the cross for you and for for me. Now the disciples had a difficulty with this teaching because they didn't think the Messiah that was coming would come to die. They were looking for a Messiah who would be a great warrior king who would deliver God's people, first of all, from the Romans, and then to establish a kingdom on earth. And so with this idea in his head, Peter protests, this shall never happen to you. Oh, Peter, passionate Peter, he wanted to do everything he could in his power to prevent it. And the problem was Peter didn't understand Jesus. And Jesus responds rather sharply, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. And you wonder, and many people have wondered through the years, why in the world did, did Jesus call Peter you know, Satan? I mean, after all, Satan's the, the adversary. He's the one who, who stands against everything God stands for. He's the one who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy and will do anything that he is able to to disrupt God's plan. And so Peter's response was something that could be expected of, of, of Satan, who would offer Jesus as a temptation all of these alternatives to following through with God's mission. And so because Peter's protest was a hindrance to, to God's plan, he, he speaks to Peter as someone who's acting in a way that the devil himself would. And the problem was he didn't understand what Jesus' mission was. You see, Peter, as Jesus would say, was confusing the things of God and the things of man. Now, there's a phrase in that verse talking about setting your your mind. It's used other times in Scripture, but it's the idea of the focus and the direction of your, your heart and your will and your mind. It's what leads you or or guides you. And so Peter was looking at things from a human perspective with a focus on self-preservation where emotion and logic overpower faith. He was looking at it from the perspective of avoiding suffering and death at any cost and looking toward victory. And he had a great desire to save his master from suffering. Well, this will never happen to you. But on the other side, to contrast that, Jesus always set his mind on the things of God. He lived to please his Father. He operated at every moment in perfect obedience. And his focus and his direction led him toward the cross. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan, a great pastor spoke of it this way, said the things of God are toward self-sacrifice. And the things of man are 
self-seeking. The things of God lead to the way of the cross where it merges in victory at the resurrection and the things of man shun the cross and end in destruction. See, Jesus' mission was to go to Jerusalem to follow the way of the cross. There was no other way. It was God's plan for Him to suffer and be killed and then what would seem like a defeat would end in victory as he was raised to life. Even today as we follow Jesus or or do our best to follow, sometimes stumbling and aimlessly wandering, but hopefully following in his direction, we see that that leads to a cross. That though sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though sometimes we find ourselves moving away from seeking God's things and seeking the things of man, that overall He calls us to seek after Him and to reject the things of the world. And He corrects Peter, and then He speaks to His disciples to Remind them that there is a cost to following Him, but the cost is worth it. And so in the second part of the outline, Jesus proclaims the cost of following Him. So He turns from predicting His death to speaking about what it means to be a disciple. His discussion begins there in verse 24, where Jesus says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And if we think about the nature of a disciple, we need to understand a disciple is someone who follows his teacher. It was a common pattern in the ancient world that you would find a master and you would choose to study under that master, and you would walk along with the master, you would eat with the master, you would study under the master, you would listen to the master. And your goal was to watch what they did, listen to what they say, and then model your life after the master. Or you could say it another way, they, they did their best to follow in the steps of their master. It's a, it's a phrase we use, to follow the pattern of life of someone else. And where that master would lead, the disciples would naturally follow. But when we turn specifically to someone who we would say is a disciple or a follower of Jesus, there's a deeper level of commitment. And when we call someone a follower of Jesus or a disciple, I think it's stronger language than just saying someone is a Christian or they're a believer. Why, why do I think that? Because those, that term follower or disciple implies a surrender. After Peter and his fishermen buddies left the Sea of Galilee along the way, Jesus, Jesus Peter is frustrated about things and, and he just talks to Jesus. Just, you know, we've left everything to follow you. So obedience is following a leader, but also obedience is is costly. For Jesus, as we read in the verses earlier, his obedience cost him his his life, but resulted in in victory. And so, so Jesus 
wants his disciples to understand the reality of what it means. That there would be a cost, and that cost would involve dying to, to self. And so he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You see, a disciple surrenders everything. That at the point you choose to be a follower of Jesus, that you make a turn or you repent from self-centered living. It's much more, denying self is much more than just giving up something. You know, for those friends or family that we have that may be from a Catholic background, you know, they celebrate this season of Lent and they, they deny themselves something. It's a, it's a practice of self-denial to, to deal with selfishness. But when Jesus says deny yourself, it, it starts there with giving up things and it continues on. It's a process of learning to say no to yourself and to say yes to Jesus. It's a deep-rooted commitment of self-sacrifice. And he strengthens his argument by saying, not only deny yourself, but take up your cross. A disciple embraces trials and suffering. Now, don't get me wrong, nobody likes those things. At least if you're a normal person. But we embrace them trusting that God has a plan and a purpose and that we have a Savior that will walk with us through those moments. And he uses the phrase, take up his cross, and he wants to remind us that cross-bearing is serious business. It's much more than using it for You know, a phrase like some people do that when they have to deal with an annoying circumstance. You know, I I just can't, I have to put up with so-and-so at work. You know, he, he does these annoying things and he gets on my nerves and I guess that's just my cross to bear. Sometimes people will say that. Or, you know, I guess I'm going to have to work till I'm 75 before I see retirement and that's just my cross to bear. No, that's, it's a much deeper symbol than that because the cross symbolizes suffering and death. And we have to understand that when a person was sentenced to death in the Roman Empire, they were forced, the guilty party was forced to carry their own instrument of death, their cross beam on their shoulders where they would later hang to the place of death. And we're reminded in Scripture that Jesus carried His cross toward that hill of Calvary. And it was only the exhaustion from from the beatings and the torture that kept him from carrying it along the way until Simon came and bore it for him. And so when a disciple, when a follower of Jesus takes up his cross, it is embracing the trials and sufferings that are connected with following after Jesus. See, Jesus really, he, he made it clear to all who would follow him that, that the road would not be easy. There would be hard times, trials and sufferings. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. And when we take up our cross, there's an execution that takes place. It means that we put to death our desires, our plans, our selfishness, and we surrender ourselves in obedience even to the point of death. 
deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We said it earlier, but I'll say it again. A disciple is a, a follower. Now, the, the Greek word follow means to take the same road as another person does. We've all, if you've traveled with a group, you know what it's like to, to follow someone who is in the lead vehicle or if you are the lead vehicle, you know how you have to be careful to not run away from them or make a turn that they don't know where you're at. But simply to follow after Jesus means to take the same road. And that road is a road that would lead to suffering and to heartache, but would end in victory. I want to just read you a, a short paragraph from a commentator. His name is James Early. And he says this, Following after Jesus is a formal challenge to live with, learn with, and study under Jesus. It's a call to be close to Him, obey His teachings, and take the same path He takes and walk the same road He walked. It involves daily growth and development at the expense of personal comfort. I read that last sentence and it really struck me. You know, daily growth and development at the expense of personal comfort. Have you noticed in your faith the times when God grows your roots deeper are most likely the most uncomfortable seasons of your life? You feel like the whole world is pressing in and crashing and running around you. Nothing seems to make sense, but you find that, that there's a sweetness in your fellowship with God and your roots grow deeper as you walk with Him. And when Jesus invites us to follow after Him, He's calling us to, to follow in His steps and walk the way He walked. It's so wonderful to read John when he, when he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and just to, to see the reminders that He truly walked closely with, with Jesus. And in 1st John chapter 2, verse 6, He says, Whoever says he abides in Him, speaking about Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we say we're in Christ, we ought to walk like Jesus. But let me tell you this, following after Jesus is a radical pattern for daily life. I don't even know if they still have, I think they still have life coaches, but you have those people that, you know, that that throw their... Um, they're sign up and get some business cards and they're a life coach. And, you know, you go to the life coach and the life coach, you know, finds out what are your goals. Well, you know, I want to be, you know, a millionaire. And, okay, well, what steps do you think it's going to take to get there? And, you know, they'll put one, two, three, four, five. You know, you'll list out your steps. And they'll say, well, go after it, buddy. You know, I don't think I could be a life coach. But it's something in those lines, you know. And, they would, and, and you'd meet with them periodically and say, well, how are you doing on step one? Well, keep working. You can do it. You know, and there's patterns of life that are like that, that, that are just simply, they, they give you this one, two, three step to follow to, to get to where you think you want to go. But when we talk about following after Jesus, it, it truly is a radical pattern. It contradicts the ways of the world. And it begins when God works in your life through the Holy Spirit. He reveals that, that you're, you're a sinner and you've got a big problem and you need a Savior. And you respond to Him and you trust in Him and you recognize that Jesus has the right to rule over your life. And when you recognize those things, it changes everything. 
that it's not just you making decisions for your life, it's you and Jesus, Jesus guiding your life to make decisions that are best for you. And you are forever at that moment united with Christ. You have fellowship with God. And at the same time, you also have opposition from Satan and from the world. And the goal along the way as we try to grow in faith is to have more of Jesus in our life and less of ourselves as we walk along. And so in verses 25 and 26, Jesus gives some requirements of what it means to follow him on the way of the cross. And that that way of the cross is always going to contradict the way of man. Listen to verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So if you spend your days in a desperate attempt to save life as you know it on earth, to live for comfort and security, Jesus says you'll wind up losing eternal life. But on the other hand, we find real life when we lay down our own life here on earth and receive the new life that comes only in Christ. Spring's here, and some of you probably already planted your gardens. Got some things in the ground, and maybe something's starting to to rise up out of the soil. But when you, you put a seed in the ground, even though it seems dead and buried... Your hope is that as the seed is watered, that it will grow and it will become what it was intended to be. And so when we die to ourselves, when we lose our life, we gain eternal life. And so Jesus continues, verse 26, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So he's suggesting for us a a, a transaction where a man actually gains the whole world. Maybe you're the wealthiest man in the world and you've sacrificed everything to get there. But the cost is your very soul. That you have everything this world could offer, but your eternity is set in separation from God. And opposed to that, Jesus argues how rewarding it is to abandon everything and gain eternal life. Many of you probably know the story of of Jim Elliott, famous missionary to to Ecuador. Uh, Maybe you've seen the end of the spear and was reading a section about him this week and, and a pastor had just protested to a group of people just speaking about Jim Elliott's tragic end there in the in the jungle that Jim Elliot didn't die in Ecuador. And the people protest like, yes, he did. We've read it. We've seen it in the news. Jim Elliot died in, in Ecuador. And he said it again. No, Jim Elliot did not die in Ecuador. And they protested again. He did. He did. And he said, no, the physical body of Jim Elliot died in Ecuador. Jim Elliot died in college when he surrendered his very life to the Lord. And Jim Elliot famously said these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Oh, friend, 
in the day we're in, we can get so caught up in trying to get stuff and things, and in the end, we can't keep any of those things. It's not ours. It's going to fall away. It's going to rust. It's going to wear out. Or somebody else is going to use it one of these days. But what we cannot lose is the eternal reward of fellowship with a Savior forever. It's far worth, worth far more than anything in this, this world. And so Jesus continues in verse 26, Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What if somebody went all in in this world and then lost his soul? What in the world could he do to ever get it back? You know, the answer is nothing. Nothing. There's nothing you could do to ever pay the price to save your soul. In fact, the only thing that could pay that price is the, the life and the blood of, of Jesus. And so do you see the beauty of this, that, that Jesus gave everything for you and for me, even though we have nothing, that He paid the price we could never pay. He laid down His life and He calls us to follow in that example. That He lost His life for you and for me so we could find new life in Him. In J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of this chapter in verse 24, he says, If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's the hard part. Giving up our right to ourself. It's a call from Jesus to die daily. Jesus, it's not about me. It's about you. It's a call to lay down your rights and your own personal agenda. And it requires a total surrender who you are to all that Jesus is. Back to those fishermen, Sea of Galilee. Jesus simply said, follow me. Scripture tells us that they left their nets, followed him. They walked in his footsteps. And today, the, the master still calls out to all who will listen, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Because following Jesus means losing your life for His sake and finding purposeful new life in Him. I just have three questions to ask as we prepare to close and pray. And the first is, have you responded to Jesus' call? Follow me. You have to understand, and Jesus made it clear that it will cost you your old way of life. There is a sacrifice involved. There is a death involved. But what you gain is far greater, abundant, and eternal life. Meaning and purpose. And an eternal inheritance, eternity in heaven, worshiping and fellowshipping with the Father. So have you responded? If not, you can today. Simple trusting faith, turning from your sin and self and turning toward Jesus. And then a second question, are you continuing to follow Jesus today? 
Are you still walking along the road, following in His steps? don't know if you've sang it very often, but there's a song in the, in the Baptist hymnal, Footprints of Jesus, and it, it begins, Sweetly, Lord, have we heard Thee calling, come follow Me. And we see where the footprints falling lead us to Thee. And then the last verse, Then at last, when on high He sees us, our journey done, we will rest where the steps of Jesus end at His throne. And the refrain is simply, Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus where'er they go. Are you continuing to follow Jesus? Or are you looking for something else? Are you looking for more in your life? Let me just tell you, the more that you're looking for in life is found only in Jesus. Everything else is empty. And then finally, a last question. Will you follow the steps of Jesus no matter where they go? Both now and then all the way home. Let me pray together. Lord Jesus, as we think about the wonder of your love and your sacrifice for us, it, it humbles us to even think for a moment that you would die for us that while we were still sinners you died for us and in love and gratitude you call those who trust in you to die to ourselves to take up our cross and to follow you knowing that wherever you lead us you'll be there with us that we'll never be alone and that you'll walk along the way so as we consider this calling to follow you, help us to answer these questions. Or have we answered your call to follow? Are we following you now and are we willing to walk with you wherever you lead us? Lord, I thank you that these are your people and that you don't overlook them and that you know every need and every heart. As we enter into this time of decision, we trust you to minister and to speak by the power of your Spirit. Help us to be people that walk with you wherever you lead. Thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. We'll be receiving the, the Lord's Supper in a moment, but before um, we take that, that time, we have opportunity to respond to the, the Lord as He speaks to our hearts, and it's always good to remind um, ourselves that God is always willing to speak, and the challenge is, are we ready and willing to listen, and really, are we ready to follow and to obey what He says? So my prayer is as we sing is that your, your hearts and your souls will be open to the voice of Jesus and that we will respond in, um, in obedience to what he, he calls us to do. You may be carrying a burden this morning and you may need to just lay it down at the altar and say, God, I want to put this in your hands. I've been trying to deal with it myself and I can't. And 
I'm trusting it to you. Could be the could be physical, could be the spiritual condition of a loved one, maybe of your own heart, be a financial burden or some other situation. There's altars open and you can lay it before the Lord. Maybe there's just been that inner struggle between knowing what you should do and wanting to do it. If you surrender to Jesus, He'll give you the strength and the encouragement to take the next step and the next step. Or maybe the road you're walking now seems pretty hard and pretty rough. Maybe it's been that way for a while and you don't see any anything getting any better. It's a reminder that the Savior is with you and when you call out to Him, He will not abandon you. He's the help you need when you need it. Maybe other needs that you have. Maybe today's the day you answer the call to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe the Lord is calling you to be planted here for a season in this fellowship as a member. Or maybe you just need some encouragement. He's willing and ready, we ask. Would you join me in standing? We're going to sing together and trust the Lord will speak. lot of times we you know we sing these words and we go through the motions of singing them and we just kind of go along with it and if we really were honest sometimes what we're saying with our lips are not exactly where we really are and um as i was singing this i was just thinking about if i was honest really sometimes what i'm saying is lord i've surrendered a lot to you and i'm content with what i've surrendered but what he's calling me to is all 
Or sometimes we say, I've surrendered a percentage. I surrender a percentage to you. Or we say, I've surrendered a big percentage to you, and I'm okay with where I'm at. And we're content. But God is not. And he's calling us to lay things down that we don't necessarily want to lay down sometimes. But, you know, it's all. He gave us all, and he's asking from us all. And if we were to allow the Lord to search us and know us and see what is it that we're hanging on to, Lord, I would serve you except this one thing, I'm keeping this for myself. See, that's the other percentage. See, I've given the Lord this percentage, but this percentage I'm hanging back for myself. I'm keeping this. And we hang on to that, that self and that flesh. And we need to lay it down. Um, six years ago, I was struggling with a sugar addiction, more than, more specifically a Dr. Pepper addiction. And this may seem kind of silly, but I really did have a problem, and I drank Dr. Pepper all the time. And the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it was not good for my body. I was living on that stuff. And the Lord was calling me to surrender it. But I had tried before. I tried to not drink it. I tried to do better. But I couldn't. And finally the day came and I just said, I surrender this to you. I'm laying this down. I can't do it myself. I cannot do this. I've tried and failed. But I'm giving it to you. And if you will help me, I'll not have another one. And I don't mean when I get to heaven I'm waiting for one. I don't want another one ever. And six years ago that happened. And it's been six years since I've had one. The Lord himself, the scriptures tell us that. His, he's able to keep you. He'll keep your foot from slipping. And the one who keeps you does not sleep, nor does he slumber. The Lord is in the house today. What are you holding on to? What have you got in your cup that you're not wanting the Lord to wash out, that you're holding on to? Curtis and Linda brought the van back to our house this week. And last Sunday morning, I had my protein shake, and I had left it in there. And when it came home this week, my protein shake was still in there. And it never really all comes out because it gets foamy in the bottom, and it's got like a, you know, you want to know why you're not experiencing the fullness of God? I'm not going to bring that cup in and fill it up with my next protein shake. Yuck. There is nothing that you're holding on to that's worth it. Not a single thing. Let it go. Let it go for Jesus and give it up to him. And the way we do that is we confess it. Lord, my cup is nasty. And I need you to to wash me and cleanse me. Because what I've got is not enough. But what you've got for me will fill me up. And what he's got for you is more than you could ever imagine. And it's good. And I have not missed Dr. Peppers. And he's continuing to work in me to break sugar addiction in other areas. He's working. Because we get saved, but there's this ongoing work of laying it down. And so when we sing it, I surrender all. Let it go. And surrender it. And come to Jesus and let him heal that broken place in you because he's able and he's willing and he'll do it. He's faithful.
have our worship team, if we could, um, if we could sing another stanza of that song. You know, we're about to prepare to receive the Lord's Supper together. And one of the things that we do before that is we consider, you know, ourselves. We look at our lives and, and make sure that, you know, that we're in a good spot, that our relationship with, with Jesus is in a good place. And, and so that, that area of surrender may be something that, you know, you need to, to let go of right now, just between you and the Lord, Lord Jesus, that you may need to say, hey, I need you to clean my cup, Lord, because I want to be full of you. So um, you can you can remain seated where you are. We're just going to sing that together. And I just ask you, as you, as you listen to the words as the worship team sings, allow the Lord to search your heart. And if something comes to your mind, just confess it before the Lord. Trust by faith that you're forgiven. And then walk in forgiveness and in the new reality of that. So let's listen um, as they sing and as you listen to the voice of the Lord. It's a wonderful privilege we have as a church family to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you needed a reminder of the preciousness of it, um, the time that we were not celebrating um, the Lord's Supper together during 2020, during COVID, I might have reminded you of how much you missed it. And um, it's a great opportunity for us to not only reflect on the, the unity that we have as a family, but more importantly, the unity that we have with the Lord Jesus. And so as we've taken time to prepare our hearts, we begin by looking at the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 that Peter gives, or Paul gives that church in Corinth. And he says in verse 23, and before I go there, let me just remind you, I forgot to say something. So, so here at Cross Timber, we believe in open communion. So if you are... Um, you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of whether you are a, a member or, or not of our church, we invite you to, to participate in the Lord's Supper uh, with us. We fellowship as the church with a big C, um, united in the name of Jesus, and so um, we invite you to do so. And we just trust the Lord would lead you as he guides you whether or not you would participate. Apologize for that. For I received, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I received from the Lord... But I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Gentlemen, will you pass the, the bread?
Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that our minds and our hearts are in the right place as we participate in a part of the Last Supper, Lord, as we celebrate the, the sacrifice of your body for our sins on the cross. Lord, we pray this. Amen. said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's eat the bread. Continuing on in Paul's instructions, verse 24, he says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Gentlemen, will you pass? Father God, as we take this cup, your blood that poured from the splendid cross, we realize that you were the supreme sacrifice for all of our sins. Because of your blood shed for us and your body was broken, we thank you for your victory over death. Today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Scriptures tell us that when the disciples finished the meal with Jesus, they sang a hymn and departed, and we will sing together in just a moment. But let me just remind you that here at at Cross Timber, that when we celebrate the the Lord's Supper, we traditionally collect an offering for our benevolence. So if you have some extra change or would like to contribute to that, the gentleman will be standing um, at the back during that. But before we sing, let me just share a blessing with you. It's from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Would you join me in standing as we read this together and then we'll sing as I read and then we'll sing together as we leave. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's sing together. And you're dismissed. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's too well.